Amen. You may turn in this Bible if you need a copy of the Scriptures. The black one in front of you, the, the chair in front of you. Page 897 is where we're going to be primarily today. We're going to be all over uh, the Gospel of John, but we're going to focus on those few verses in John 15, beginning with verse 12 all the way through verse 17. 1 John 3.16. You know John 3.16, but do you know 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Today we celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus has made. As we celebrate this weekend, the sacrifice that so many paid, um, the ultimate sacrifice for, for our freedom, we focus primarily today not on them, but on Him. And as we do, we're going to look at what we remember. And as we look at that together, we're going to start by looking at this farewell discourse, just a portion of it. In John's Gospel, uh, there's not a Lord's Supper account recorded. Instead, He has the washing of the disciples' feet. There's no Passover meal. There's no uh, communion that we take our Lord's Supper observance from. There's just service and sacrifice. And as we look at this today, I want to remind you of the context of this teaching of what Jesus is doing here. It's in the upper room that He washes the disciples' feet and that begins in chapter 13. And all the way through chapter 17, we see some very important last words. You see a gathering of Jesus with His intimate followers, those apostles, those that He had invested three and a half years with, and He wants to give them one final teaching. You ever gather around a loved one's bed before you know they're about to pass? And they say and speak some words of wisdom or encouragement or love to you. That's what we get in the farewell discourse. Now, the time, by the time we get to chapter 15, at the end of chapter 14, they have left the upper room and they are on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to pray that perfect prayer. Father, if there be any other way but this, let, it, let this cup, this cup of suffering, pass from me. Nevertheless, and here's the perfect part, nevertheless, not my will, but Your will, Father be done. And the Father's perfect will was done as Jesus, His Son, laid down His perfect life as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of humanity. All of us share in the benefit of that forgiveness, the benefit of that grace, the benefit of that life that has been given because of what Jesus gave on the cross. So would you stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word as Jesus teaches His disciples, He teaches us as well. We're beginning with verse 12 of chapter 15 of John's Gospel. This is my commandment, Jesus says. Love each other in the same way I loved you. There's no greater love than to lay one's, down, one's life down for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. 
I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now, now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Father, teach us. Teach us from Your Word. and Teach us how to love like You have. Like Jesus did. Lord, help us put aside our sinfulness and our selfishness and our own desires to seek Your will and to pour out Your love on a world that so needs it. On other folks in this place who so need it. We need it, Lord. Help us experience Your great love today through the taking of communion, through the learning from Your Word. In Your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated as we look at this together and we look at really how we understand love because without understanding Jesus' sacrifice, we don't have a chance, as John, 1 John 3.16 says, of understanding love. This is how we know what love is. It says, Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Remember, Jesus said several times, no one took His life from Him. It wasn't the Romans, it wasn't the religious leaders, it wasn't anyone. It was Him who freely and willingly and lovingly laid down His life for us. You think about those great war stories of people doing what they do in times of battle, and you think about what happens on those battlefields and how someone takes someone else is shrapnel or bullet or whatever, and you think about how heroic we view those kind of acts and that kind of service, and then you think about Jesus and what He's done for us on the cross in His perfect life, laying down His life, not just for one or two, but for all. All humanity of all time. How incredible is that? I cannot even begin to wrap my feeble mind around how loving that act on the cross was. It's really a, a miracle to me to even begin to imagine the atonement that took place for the sins of all humanity, of all mankind, in that one act of that one perfect God-man. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we remember. If you're following along on the back on the outline, the first thing I want you to see is we remember how He loved. He loved unconditionally. Aren't you glad that Jesus' love for us is not dependent upon our performance, upon what we've done or said or how we've behaved this week? 
You think about how unconditionally He has loved us. And we look at, at this Scripture and it says in 12 and 13, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. That's unconditionally. You think about how we love and how different that is oftentimes and, and how important it is. And we'll get to this in just a moment that He commands us to love. But He's loved us uncondition. What does that even look like? In our sinful way of living and not really paying attention lots of times, we forget the holiness that God has called us to. And yet in the midst of all of that, God still continues to love. We think, you don't know, Kyle, what I've done or what I've thought or how I've acted or, or who I've hurt in the whole process. Oh, but He knows and He loves in spite of all of that. I think about what we talked about just briefly about last week, the woman who's caught in adultery in this same gospel account in John chapter 8. The woman who's caught in adultery is brought by those Pharisees and those scribes, those religious people before Jesus. And, and they said, the law says, Moses' law says, we, we should stone her. What do you say? And he doesn't say anything. He just stoops and, and writes something in the ground. And I... And that, that leaves us for lots of room to conjecture in the white spaces of the Scripture. What did he write? Maybe he wrote their mistress's name, some would say. Maybe he wrote their own sin and what they had done. But whatever he wrote, all those religious leaders, all those Pharisees who thought they were so righteous, who were self-righteous sort of folks, began to walk away from the situation. And then he... He says those famous words, let he who is without sin cast the, the first stone and there's no one left except him. How ironic that he would say, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. He was the one, the only one who's ever been without sin and yet he didn't cast a stone. He asked the woman, is there any left to condemn you? And she says, no one. And then he says those words. Could you imagine? Maybe a woman still half naked, caught in adultery, standing before Jesus our Lord, and he says, neither do I condemn you. Go. Go sin no more. Would you hear those words for yourselves? That all the sin that you've ever done, all the heinous acts you've ever committed, all the illegitimate thoughts that you've ever thought, all the judgmental attitudes that you've ever had, would you hear Him say, neither do I condemn you, and would you hear the words of Romans 8, 1? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who, in, who are in Christ Jesus. That's how He loves. Unconditionally. But He loves enough to know that our sin destroys us. So He says to the woman, as He says to us, go and sin no more not a matter of Him wanting to condemn. It's a matter of Him wanting us to be free. 
Us to experience the freedom from sin and the, the bondage that sin causes. So he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He loves unconditionally. And he loves the same verse there in verses 12 and 13. Verse 13 says, there's no greater love than to lay one's life down for one's friends. He loves sacrificially. That's how he loves. I was reading this week about a, a lieutenant in the Marines. Cleve McClary is his name. And there are hundreds of thousands of these kinds of stories through the ages, but this one caught my attention. I don't know exactly why. He had a patch over his left eye. He had a, a hook on an arm that was once strong and very athletically gifted. He had lost in the Vietnam War as he led a platoon in on a reconnaissance mission of about 12 guys. Two of them died, four of them mortally wounded, and he was left with no eye and just a hook on his arm. And on his plaque it said, in this world of give and take, there are all too few who are willing to give what it takes. Freedom has always, always been bought with blood. So when we think about the condition of our world, we can criticize or we can contribute. When we think about the give and the take, we can be givers or we can be takers. And in reality, we have to be both. We have to take what Jesus has done for us sacrificially so that we can give generously. So proud to pastor a church of givers. Many, many givers. But I know in the midst of us there are those who all you want is to take. And so as we think about our contribution to this community and our contribution to the world and this nation as we celebrate Memorial Day this weekend, how are you contributing and giving of yourself as Jesus gave of Himself? So do you know His love, His unconditional and sacrificial love? Because this passage goes on and tells us not only remember how He loved, but remember what He calls us to. That's the second thing on your outline if you're following along. What has He called us to? Because He not only loved us that way, He loves us that way still. He not only called us then, He calls us now. And the first thing I want you to see in verse 14 is this obedience to love. This is a command here. It's not just a suggestion. It's a command as we look at verse 14. You are my friend if you do what I command. And He's already told us in verse 12 what that is. Love one another. Doesn't that seem weird? To be commanded to love. Now most of us are like me. I, I don't want to lump everybody in there. But 
You don't have to command me to love certain people. You don't have to command me to love my wife. You don't have to command me. Our granddaughter's with us this weekend. You don't have to command me to love our granddaughter. That, those are things that just naturally flow from my inward desires. But there are, were times when I was raising teenage boys and when they got to be about seniors in high school and they got to be about 18 when they started establishing their independence as young bulls in the family where you had to command me to love. And there are people like that in your life when you, where you know you have to be commanded at times to love. Don't look at them right now. You don't have to do that. But for Him to command this love, He says, you're my friend, if you do what I command. Is that weird to anybody but me? That's not how friendship works in our world, is it? I mean, someone comes up to you and says, I, I'd like to be your friend. All I need you to do is everything I tell you to do. Do what I command, and we'll be great friends. Really? You see, this friendship with him is different, isn't it? in our earthly friendship. It's not an equal partnership. He is superior. Just in case you needed a reminder of that. He is greater. He has paid the greater sacrifice for the relationship, the highest friendship that we can experience with Him. And so He is allowed to have greater demands in this friendship. And yet his commands, as First John tells us, are not burdensome because his command is to love. And he knows that for our own good, as we obey this command, we'll experience what he called us to experience and came that we might experience its abundant life. That's how we experience that. So His command or what He's called us to is obedience to love. But the second part of this I want you to see in verse 15 is a confidence in His plan. Verse 15 says it this way, I no longer call you slaves, doulos in the Greek, because a master doesn't confide in his doulos or his slaves. No, now I call you philos, friends. Since I've told you everything the Father told me. That's how it works in deep, intimate friendships, isn't it? You tell people things that you want held in confidence. We used to say if you want something known and you want to communicate something, you would telegraph or you would telephone, telegraph long since gone, or you would telebaptist. Telegraph, telephone, telebaptist, and it gets spread all over the community. We don't do that anymore. But what we do understand here is the confidence, the confiding that Jesus has in those 11 and in us. He brings us into this relationship with Him and tells us portions of the plan. He doesn't tell us the whole plan, but He tells us enough that the Father has revealed to Him to reveal to us so that we know what the next step in the plan is. 
And we know at this moment in time that the plan for Him and for them and for us is to share His love, His good news with everybody else. And that's what happens from these 11. The whole world comes to know Christianity and the early church is birthed. And all of what we know started in that upper room and on that way to the Garden of Gethsemane because they were brought into the confidence in His plan. Now, have you ever felt like you didn't know what God was doing? You've been going through some issues or some health crises or some family turmoil and you, you wonder, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? What's your purpose and your plan in all of this? Because somehow we have bought the lie that once we trust Christ and are part of His kingdom, that everything's going to be joyful all the time and then everything turns up roses. Well, that happens in the end, but most of the time until we get to the end, it's more difficult as followers of Jesus Christ than it was if we were not followers of Jesus Christ. But all I'm telling you in all of that is that as He takes us into His confidence, it's the place that we want to be. Even in the difficulty. Because we've got a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Who's always available to us. He's called us Thirdly, as you look at the first part of verse 16, He's called us to this dependence, I'm sorry, this diligence and productivity. He calls us in verse 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So it's, it's worth it because our lives are going to be productive. It's going to be Fruitful sort of lives. Now, when we talk about fruit, we're talking about things like apples and bananas and grapes and all that. Natural fruit? No. We're not talking even about biological fruit between a man and a woman, our, our children, our prodigy. No. We're talking about spiritual fruit. Spiritual offspring. Love and joy and peace and patience and all the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. But we're also talking about People who come to know Christ because of us, because we have been faithful to do what God has called us to do, sharing with those people in our spheres of influence. And that's the fruit that will last. You know, bananas spoil in just a day or two. Natural fruit spoils, but spiritual fruit lasts one day. When we gather in that perfect place called heaven, we want to make sure all those folks here on earth that we love so much are gathering with us. Don't we? So let's be diligent. Continue to be diligent to what He's called us to do in making disciples and sharing good news and boldly proclaiming and witnessing and loving. Because no matter what happens on this side, no matter what turmoil and difficulty and tragedy we experience on this side, on the other side, it's all going to be made right. And until then, 
we can experience the abundant life He came to give us. But we can't do that apart from Him. That's why in the first part of John 15th Gospel, of the chapter 15 in John's Gospel, the first part is all about the, the branches and the vine. Verse 5 says that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. If we remain in Him and Him in us, will bear much fruit. And verse 7 says that we can ask whatever we want if we remain in Him and it will be done. And this particular section in verse 16 says the same thing. So that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. What does that mean? Does that mean we just attach in the name of Jesus at the end of our prayers or whatever we prayed, then we'll get whatever we pray? No. That's not a magic formula. He's not our genie to do our bidding. That means that what we pray ought to line up with His will and His purposes so that He could sign off on it. So that He can sign His name to it. So He wants us to remember that we are deeply dependent on Him in prayer. And as we are, we're connected to the vine, the source of all blessings and all growth and all of what we need. And as we are, we're friends. Friends of God. So today we get to celebrate and remember that friendship. So I'm asking you, are you that kind of friend? Do you have that kind of relationship? Do you remember what He has done for you? How He's loved you by laying down His life on the cross for you? Do you remember what He's called you to? And as you remember that, do you come wanting to participate in sharing His love and experiencing His grace to the point where it overflows toward other people around you? As the deacons come and as our worship team comes, would you prepare right now for what God is going to do? And we'd invite you. We'd invite you to participate in this meal, this memorial meal of friendship with the Lord. As you take the cup, it's going to be double cupped, okay? In here, you just grab a cup and lift that and you'll find a a wafer, if you'd take that. And as the deacons proclaim Christ's sacrifice for you, you take that broken body, that wafer, and you remember. And then you take that cup and you remember His shed blood for you. You take it right here. And after you've taken that, just deposit the remaining cup, the empty cups in the trash can. And, and then you... Depart back to your seat. And now all the way, all the time, will you remember? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for opportunities opportunities that You remind us of the great love You've displayed already 
the great love that we experience. Lord, as we partake together in this communion, may we all experience and understand, Lord, that You've laid down Your life. Your body's been broken. That Your blood has been shed so that we might live. We were dead and You brought us back to life. Thank You, Lord. Lord Jesus, for dying that we might live. That's what we remember, Lord. Thank You for Your sacrifice. In Your holy name we pray, Jesus.